Hi everyone, how are we all? Doing okay? Excellent, very good. If you've got your Bibles, uh, turn to James chapter 3. That's where we're going to um, start off today. Um, but before, before I do that, it's great to have um, Sam with us today and Thomas. I'm not going to ask you to stand up, but it's great. Thomas was born about six weeks ago um, to Kevin and Sam. Why don't we... He won't understand yet because he's only six weeks old, but let's give him a welcome because it's great to uh, have Sam and uh, Thomas with us. They're over down in this corner just down here. Hasn't the weather in April been good? I I was away last week and uh, there was an outdoor swimming pool where we were and we were swimming outside. Well, which would be because the swimming pool was outside, but... um, it was great, absolutely great to be able to enjoy the sunshine and, uh, and the warmth. I hope it lasts for a little bit longer. I hope this isn't our summer. <laughs> I mean, in a couple of weeks' time, um, two weeks today as it happens, we're going to be starting a new preaching series on the book of Colossians. So if you're wondering, what should I read next in the Bible, why don't you have a read and a pray through the book of Colossians? We've entitled it Live Your Life. It's going to be practical teachings out of that book. And we've not sort of titled each week up, because what we want is those that are doing the preaching just to dig into the passage of Scripture that we've given them and let them communicate what God highlights to them from it. So that's a week on Sunday. Next week, to warn you in advance, we've got Anthony Hilda will be preaching. So, now that was a very odd sound that came from somewhere. I don't know where it was, but... uh, um, he, he will be excellent. He will be absolutely brilliant. It's good to worship God, isn't it? Bridget, it's good to worship God, isn't it? Yeah. No, it's very good. Very good. This morning, I'm going to be looking at the book of James, and I'm going to be looking at the whole subject of talking and speech and the way we use our tongues. And um, the reason I, I feel I want to do that is because I feel... It's such an important area that every now and again we've got to uh, remind ourselves of what the Bible says um, with this subject. I think most of us here, you know, would communicate quite a lot. In our household, some members of our household communicate more than others. Uh, Around the meal time, it can often be quite noisy, with lots of speaking. Sometimes some shouting, uh, many jokes and things like that. And it's good, um, it's good that we look at this subject and find out what the Bible has to say about it. Because speech is very powerful, isn't it? Things that we say can have a profound impact on our lives, but also on the lives of those around us. About ten years ago, I went for a drive over to Rye with a lady called Chloe. And the words that came out of my mouth had a profound impact on the next ten years. Because we went over to Rye and we were walking through Rye, we'd just been to the cinema, and I decided that that was the evening I was going to ask her if she'd marry me. You you will be saying R in a minute when you hear the rest of the story. God, dear. (laughs) 
And so I got to a place where I thought it would be a good place to propose. And I said to Chloe, Chloe, I can't actually remember quite what I said, but it was something like this. Chloe, will you marry me? Please, will you marry me? Please. And her response was, aren't you going to get down on one knee? So it wasn't, it wasn't a totally positive um, response. But after I'd done, done all the bits that I needed to do, and Chloe had said yes, those words then had a profound effect on the next eight, nine years or so. And if I'd prepared well, I'd have worked it out exactly. But it's amazing, isn't it? When you think about it, the words we say, what, what it, leads, it can lead into, both very good things, to, just to put a, a caveat thing in there, is very, very good things, as well as actually words we say can lead on to some awful things as well. Because our, the ability to speak and our speech is very, very powerful. On Friday, someone, and it's not quite speech, but it's a good example. On Friday, someone gave me a piece of paper, a folded piece of paper, and said, when you've got time, can you read this, please? And I opened it up and I read it, and I found it very encouraging. It was a prophecy that someone had, and they just wanted to share it with me. And, and, I, I, and I read it, and I put it back in my pocket, and it, it, was, it, was just, it was just right for the moment. But last night, I was praying, and uh, had a lot on my mind. I was thinking about a lot of things, and... Uh, Sometimes I'm sure you've been in this situation a number of times where you're really just doing business with God. You're sort of saying, God, please help in this situation. Please come through here. And, and I put my hand in my pocket and out came this piece of paper, this prophecy. And I read it again and it was as though I could have written it for myself in exactly what I needed to hear. Now that was a written word rather than a spoken word, but it's, it gave me strength. It gave me courage. Faith rose in my heart and I thought, no, no, that, that's all right. God's in control. We can get through in this area. And it's amazing how, how words can have such a profound effect on our lives. The Bible has a lot to say about speaking. And the book of James particularly is rather hard-hitting. If you read the book of James, it's like you've done five rounds with him and you've, you, you feel it. He doesn't pull any punches. James 1.19 says this, Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Proverbs 12 verse 18 says, Reckless words pierce like a sword. Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. I'm sure many of you would be able to relate with that, either one way or the other. This is one of my favourites. I'm not certain why, but it, it is one of my favourites. A fool finds no pleasure in understanding, but delights in airing his own opinions. You're not to look around as I say these, you know. No nudging going on or anything like that. James chapter 3. Verses 1 to 12, let's read it. The words will come up behind me. Not, not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. 
If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. That's a powerful verse, isn't it? If you sort out how you speak, the likelihood is the rest of your life's going to be in order as well. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to, to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is a fire. A world of evil among many parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of a life on fire. And it and is itself set on fire by hell. He doesn't, um, he doesn't pull his punches, does he, in what he's saying? And some of it's quite hard to understand, too. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man, but, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men, who, who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. James, the book of James is very much like this the whole way through on all the subjects that it's talking about that he is talking about. And this whole area of talking and the tongue is, is very key. It's key for us as a church, it's key for us as individuals, it's key for us in our workplaces, because so much good can be done by what we say, but also so much harm can be done as well. So we're going to spend a little bit of time looking um, at what James says. And I've split it into four sections. The first thing we're going to look at is, is why are we going to spend this sort why are we going to spend this morning looking at the whole subject of talking? And I've touched on it a little bit already, but I'm going to emphasize that. We're then going to look at some of the good stuff we can achieve by our speech. We're then going to look at when maybe it's best we don't say anything at all. We'd be better off if we just stayed silent. And then lastly, I want to look at some things like Facebook and texting and mobile phones and how we communicate through them and the effect it can have as we communicate through those forms of media. So, so I've got a couple of reasons. Why are we looking at that? Well, I've touched on one of them already, but one I haven't touched on yet is this. Did you know that the things you say reveal what's going on in your heart? Did you know that? The things that come out of your mouth will reveal what's going on in your heart. It's probably the best indicator, actually, of what's going on in your heart. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 6. The words will come up behind me. This is Jesus talking, and he's talking about what we say. No good trees bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognised by its own fruit. And it's a bit like James, this bit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. The good man brings good things out of this good stored up in his heart. The evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. 
Jesus is very clear that over a period of time, we can't really hide what's going on inside. Maybe on a Sunday morning, and maybe I'll come and we, we, we have a chat a bit later, you can give a pretty, you know, you, you, you can sort of really paint whatever picture you want about what's going on in your life. But anyone who really knows you, or spent a bit of time with you, will have a very good indication of what's going on in the inside by what comes out of our mouths. I wondered if I should sort of set this as a challenge for us all, but I'm not certain I would want to do it myself. Um, I imagine, imagine if you've got a piece of A4 paper and you draw a line right down the middle of it. On one side you put a big plus, on the other side you put a big minus symbol. And then as you go through the day, every time you say something positive, you put a tick in the plus side. Every time you say something that you would deem as negative, you put a tick in the negative side. It'd be interesting, wouldn't it, to see at the end of the day where the ticks are. Which side of the piece of paper would you have ticked more? I don't know, I, I question myself a little bit with that sometimes. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if, if the words that we say are seasoned with scepticism, moaning, criticism, there probably isn't much joy or faith in our hearts. But if out of our mouths comes joy and thanksgiving and expectation for the things in the future, probably it's safe to say that in our hearts is faith and an expectancy of what God wants to do. And so, just as an opening sort of gambit really, it's not not directly to do with speaking, but out of the overflow of our hearts, our mouths speak. What's coming out? What's overflowing from our hearts at the moment? And obviously that means that if we want to change what's coming out of our mouths, we need to change what we're putting into our hearts. You see, because if you're feeding your heart on the wrong stuff, naturally what comes therefore out of it isn't necessarily positive. But if you're feeding your hearts on the right stuff, and if you're spending time with the right people, it will have a profound effect on how you speak. Have you ever found that? That if you're around a certain type of person, the way you speak starts to mirror them. So if they're full of faith and expectation, you find, I'm full of faith and expectation, I start speaking a bit like that. But if, if you're around people who are a little bit negative and cutting people down and things like that, do you find that that can rub off on you? And by the way, because I'm going negative this side, I'm not making any pronouncement on you guys over this side, although I think you probably are more positive over this side. <laughs> what's, what's going on inside? It's very simple. Probably if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you'd be very familiar with these words. But I want them to come again to you. What's going on inside? The second reason that I want to spend time looking at this, and I've already touched on it, but I I want to open it up a little bit more, is the words that we say are extremely powerful. They are very, very powerful. Proverbs 12, verse 18, I read it out earlier. Reckless Words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. And James says, doesn't he, he says, you can have a really big ship, and on the back of this ship is this little thing called a rudder. And even in stormy seas, and even in the storms of life, this rudder can direct this big ship in just the course that it should go. And James is saying our tongues are a little bit like that. The words that we say can have a profound effect on how we live our lives and how our lives turn out. 
Positive words that you say to someone at the end of the meeting today can set them up for the week. A two-minute conversation. You, you gauge it right. You're in line with what God wants to do. You can set someone up for the week. You can transform how their week goes. But equally, reckless words can, can affect people to the point where you're thinking, God. And it's not often because you deliberately mean it. It might just be. It's just what's bubbling out of your heart. But our words are very, very powerful. The other illustration that James uses is a spark and a forest fire. Have any of you ever said something and you wish as it left your tongue, you could grab it back in? Because you know there's trouble at the end of those words. You said some words and, and when they were in your mouth, you could have stopped it just like that, close your mouth. The spark is under control. But once they're out, you know, you try and put it out. You know, like, like, sometimes on like Heathland, you get these big poles with the rubber mat thing at the end. And they're, they're to, if, you, if you start a fire, you can try and put them out. I imagine with that spark, you try and put it out and you whack it down on the spark on the forest floor and suddenly it, it goes in about four different directions. You try, you, try to get, you try to get those misplaced words back and it's too late. They're out. And once you start a forest fire, you cannot put it out very easily. It just needs to burn its way out over time. And I think our words can sometimes be a little bit like that. Can we have um, a photograph up, please, Jen? Do any of you recognise these two gentlemen? They started a forest fire. Some badly misplaced words about 18 months ago on a Radio 2 show. Offensive words. The one on the left, Jonathan Ross, if you don't know him, got suspended from the BBC for 12 weeks and it cost him, they reckon, £1.3 million. Russell Brand resigned from the BBC and the controller of the BBC, um, I think, lost their job as well, all on the back of probably five minutes worth of talking. It was completely out of order, but they were two men who couldn't control what they were saying, had no wisdom in what they were saying or the effect that it would have. They started a forest fire. Now, I don't think any of us here worked for Radio 2 or anything like that, so it's unlikely the words that we say can have such a wide-reaching implications, but they can still have implication for the sphere of influence that we are in. Our tongue is very, very powerful. In that James 3 verse 7 says, All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame his tongue. You could sort of say, to word it more in modern day English or modern day language, you could say, look at all the accomplishments mankind have made. All the structures they have built. You know, we've sent men to the moon and satellites up into space and we can divide atoms and we can heal diseases and we can do all of those things but man cannot tame his tongue. And just because we're Christians and or many of us are Christians and we've given our lives to Jesus, we shouldn't think that we're immune from it. Therefore, hey, we're all right. You know, the way I speak isn't, isn't really a problem. Um, if anything, our words can have greater impact. Our words are 
powerful. So when is it good to talk? Now, I'm not going to go for an exhaustive list because we would be here until Tuesday because there are so many ways we can speak that do a lot of good. But I just want to pick one way out. I started with four, and as I've gone on in my preparation, it's gone down from four to three to two, and this morning I'm down to one, just, to, uh, um, just really to highlight one thing. I think it's really good to talk when we're building people up. Don't you? When you're making people stronger, so when you've finished your conversation with someone, they feel bigger in God, or just bigger in themselves, than they did when you started that conversation. Isn't that good when it's good to be able to talk and have that effect? Your, your tongue, and in the past, people's words have changed history. The right words at the right time can completely revolutionise a life. There's a man called Gideon in the Bible. Gideon was a man of little repute. There wasn't much going for him. If any of you are familiar with your Bible, I'm, I'm sure you know the story of Gideon. But if you're not familiar, Gideon lived in a time of war. Um, the nation that he lived in was Israel. They were under attack. Every year, a people called uh, the Midianites used to go into the, his land steal all the crops, take all the livestock and then leave again and leave them with nothing. And they did it year after year after year. There's one occasion when Gideon is hiding away and an angel from God appears and these are the opening words said to Gideon, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now Gideon was not a mighty warrior. Or certainly not, if we'd seen him we wouldn't have thought that. He was hidden away, his family didn't think much of him and people didn't think much of his family. He didn't live in the right street. People didn't take much notice of him. But God had a different perspective. And the the opening way he arrested Gideon, other than the angel appearing, which I guess was quite compelling, was the words that were said, God is with you, mighty warrior. And then over the course of, of time, God builds Gideon up to the point where he can, not only does he take um, have influence in his family, he has influence in the nation, And he completely delivers the nation. Why? Because he started to believe what God said about him rather than what other people said about him. And so our words are very, very powerful. And I think, and I I suppose I want to ask a question to you today, is whose words are you believing about yourself? Are you believing God's words about you? You see, Gideon wasn't to start with, but at the end he was believing God's words and he was able to do amazing things. But are you believing God's words about you? Are you more affected maybe by by what your parents have said? Or by what your boss says at work? Or your work colleagues? Is God shaping what you think about you? And then to turn it around, I want to ask a question is, how are your words? Are you shaping people for the positive? Are you building them up? Are you making them stronger? Not, Not just us here... Not just when we meet in small groups or at prayer meetings or Sunday mornings, but you can do that in your workplaces and at the school gates. Because Hastings is in desperate need of people who will speak up and build up and make people stronger. There is all too much criticism and all too much discouragement, all too much pessimism, and this can't work, and this won't happen. Hastings needs people, not who are just a bit more positive, but they're shaped by God's perspective. And therefore they speak in a different way. And they build up rather than tear down. Are you someone that expresses patience with your words? Am I? 
You know, patience can be expressed in a number of ways, but one of the ways is in what we say. Are we a patient people? Are we understanding? Are we generous with our words? Are you kind? Just kind to people. They may not deserve it, but are you just kind back? Why? Because you've got eternal life in you. Because we worship, I don't know why I was going to point, point at the PowerPoint screen, I guess it's the way we look when we worship, isn't it? This, this sort of way. But we've got this wonderful God who loved us and he's died for us and he's transformed our lives, he's given us a new heart. Therefore, we can speak differently. Church, uh, let me encourage you, it's not just about words, it is about actions as well, but I'm only looking at words today. What do your words say? Are you positive in the places that you find yourself in? Let's talk lots, church. Let's be a church full of talking people who build each other up, but also build other people up who don't know him yet. It says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. So the man or the woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. If you want to be thoroughly equipped for every good work, get to know this and then start speaking it out. You'll equip other people as well as you do it. Have you ever considered as well, and I won't linger too long on this, these little bits, but have you ever considered God has given to us the opportunity of telling the, um, the gospel with our mouths. Have you ever thought that eternal life is tied up with the words that you say? You have the opportunity today to speak to someone later and the words that they hear and the words that they accept will have changed their eternal destiny of where they end up. So your tongue... And the ability that you've got is extremely powerful. Have you ever thought that with your spoken words, you can see healings? With Peter and John, in, in the book of Acts, we hear that if they say something along the lines of, silver and gold I have, don't have any. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, get up and walk. A declared word in faith, and it brings physical change. Prophecy, encouragement, speaking out in tongues and the interpretation. All of these are with our mouths and, and they do tremendous good and tremendous blessing. When's it bad to talk? When's it best if we just didn't really say anything at all? I have a number of occasions like that where I think I would have been better just to stay quiet in that instance. Just to, just to highlight something, I've said it already, but I want to say it again because I think it's very important. The tongue normally starts the journey that the rest of the body will follow. The words that you say are often the first indication of the way that your life is going to go or the decisions you're going to make. So with myself and Chloe, when I said, Chloe, will you please marry me, down on one knee, and she says, yes, I guess I better, hadn't I? No, she didn't say that at all. She, but she did say yes. It, it set a course, it set a chain of events. But life is often like that in many other areas as well. And that's why it's also very important, the words that we say. When it's best not to talk, I think, is when it comes to the whole area of discouragement. 
Discouragement wrecks faith. We, we all need, I, I'm aware with this, because I've, I've, I've been preparing it for the last couple of weeks, I've found God keep challenging me on everything I say. I'm, I'm particularly aware of the words that I say. We need real wisdom to know what we should say at times. And it's often not right to let everything hang out. I think sometimes we can think, hey, I'm just letting it all hang out. I'm just letting it all go. But that often isn't very helpful. It often can be quite discouraging or disruptive or destructive. And we need wisdom to know when we should speak. I think discouragement can often get hidden between two statements. I don't want any of you to feel condemned if you've ever said this. Because I've said both of these. I'm just speaking my mind... Discouragement can often get hidden behind that phrase. Or, I'm just telling it like it is. Now, I'm sure none of you have said these things, but I have, so I'm going to speak for my benefit. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Numbers chapter 13. We're going to find ten men here who just spoke their minds and told it as it was. So, Numbers chapter 13. I don't think these words are going to come up uh, behind me. So Numbers 13, starting at verse 27, and it's only four verses, but you'll get in the swing of it as I read these out. This is the account where um, 1.2 million adults and all their children and all their possessions have just been freed from Egypt. They've been walking around the desert for a season, and they've come to a land that God has promised to give them. And the leader of this people is Moses. Moses sends 12 spies into the land to spy out, to see what it's like. Not to see if they can take it, but just to see what it's like. Maybe get a bit of a strategy for the advance and to uh, see what God would have for them. And so the 12 spies go out and then they come back. And this is the report that they bring. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, And it does flow with milk and honey. What that means is it's not that there's lots of pots of honey and lots of bottles of milk around. It just means it's very fruitful. It's a very uh, fertile ground. You can grow lots of stuff in it. And here is its fruit. They brought some of the fruit back. It was vast. It was brilliant. But the people who live there are powerful. The cities are fortified and very large. I'm just speaking it as it is. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites and Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Uh, They're just, the ten of them, they're just saying it like it is. That's what we saw. Big fortified cities. Some of them were massive guys. See the size of the spears they were carrying around. And there's lots of peoples, hill country, plains by the sea, there's lots and lots of people. Caleb, who wasn't one of the ten, says this, but he was one of the twelve. Silence the people before Moses and says, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. We can do it. You see, he, had, he saw it just like it was. 
But he saw something else as well. He saw God overshadowing it all, saying, God has said we can do it, therefore we can do it. He sized the circumstances with the God that he was worshipping. You see, he didn't leave God on Sunday mornings, just the one that he sang to and he worshipped. He brought God into his everyday circumstance and said, I'm going to resize the difficulties and the problems I'm facing by the God that I'm worshipping, because he's bigger than all of them. And my God is interested in my problems and the circumstances I'm facing. He can turn them around. We can certainly do it because my God is able. So he saw it like it was, but he spoke from God's perspective. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people, they are stronger than we. I'm just giving my opinion. Just my opinion on it. We're not strong enough. There's more of them than us. They've got cities, we haven't got cities. We're not even really a trained army. You know? We're a pretty new army, you know, we've only been going for a few months. We can't, we can't take on these established people. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. Can you see that it's a, it's a big situation and we're talking 1.2 million people, but can you see how the report of 10 men robbed 1.2 million people of what God had promised for them. Their words had such a profound effect on the nation that in the end, this is, God's, this is what God said. How long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will these people treat me with contempt? When they rejected God's promise on account of these ten men. They rejected what God was leading. Now in some ways it all looked very natural, didn't it? There's the Jordan there to cross, there's Moses' promised land, 12 spies, fortified cities. You know, I, 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 I don't get much time with God anyway. Um, uh, you know, it, it all looks very natural, but can you see it? The words that they spoke robbed a nation of what God had promised for them. And we know, don't we, from the Bible, that they then wandered around the desert for 40 years because they, and this is God's perspective, they had rebelled against God. They had not trusted what he had said they would do. And I think it's the same for any people of faith in any generation. God lays opportunities in front of us for us to walk into and then says, will you follow? And as we see things, and we might not totally understand them, we didn't, God hadn't said how they were going to take the promised land. He hadn't said to them, when you walk around Jericho, I know it's going to seem odd, but when you walk around Jericho for seven days and then make a big shout at the end, you know what, the walls are going to fall down. He didn't say any of that, he just says, will you trust me, will you follow me, will you go into the promised land? So sometimes we don't understand everything that's ahead of us. We don't have all the plans worked out. All we know is God has said we must go this way. And then our response as a people is to trust. But we can have a profound effect on other people around us by the words we use and what we verbalise out of our mouths. Sometimes, rather than discouragement coming out, it's just best if we stay quiet, if we don't know. Now, 
I find that an ongoing battle and challenge. This week I was in a situation where it was as though everything within me wanted to bubble words out, and yet I knew I just had to stay quiet. Because I wasn't going to say anything that was helpful. I wasn't going to say anything. I trusted the men that were saying the things. I didn't understand the plans. A bit pride involved probably as well. Didn't quite like it either. Just being honest with you. And so I had an opportunity to respond then. I thought, I must, I must stay quiet. I must bring it to God first. Do a bit of business with God. I must, I must be wise in the words that I use. Because, because they have influence. And all of you have influence with the words that you say. We must be careful. All of us at different times come across circumstances and situations where we, we don't understand it all, maybe we're not certain on it, and that's life. It's not, that, it's not that there's anything wrong in that, it's just journeys we're on. As a church, God will call us to do things that are going to be difficult and hard. At times they're going to be painful, at times we won't understand even how quite we're going to achieve the things God is calling us to do. But it's at those times of change and transition. It's those times when we are starting new adventures and looking to follow him. We have to be extremely careful in how we speak. Because those opening words, those opening words have a, have a big impact on the overall outcome of how, where it ends up. And I'm sure all of you have noticed that. Just in different circumstances and situations you find yourself in. Often the first opinion given after a suggestion is made is one of the most defining. We are a people of faith. We are a people that build one another up. We are a people who have trusted God in the past and achieved great things for him. And we're a people who will continue to trust God and achieve great things for him as we move together in one heart and with one voice. It's not that we say things we don't believe, but we're wise with the things that we say. Now, let me move on quickly, because I have near enough run out of time. I, I just want to finish by touching on some, I've, I've said, some different ways we communicate these days. It's great, society, we're living in at the moment, because there's so many ways you can communicate. You can pick someone up and use a phone. You don't even have to go around to see them. You can send them a text. Ten words, five words. Communicating something. Send an email. There's also this newfangled technology called Facebook. We're on Facebook, me and Chloe. Well, in name, we're on Facebook. If you look at what's posted on Facebook, you'll come to realise quite soon who is doing the majority of the Facebooking. I think everything that I've said about what, how we use our tongues needs to be applied with wisdom to the use of the phone, text messaging, emailing and Facebook. Facebook is a social networking site and it gives you the opportunity to do some really great stuff. Play games on there, computer games, you can post photographs, you can keep people up to date with just what's going on in your life. Loads and loads of good stuff. 
But at the click of a mouse button or a return, you can do an incredible amount of damage as well. A few badly chosen words that echo around 100, 150 friends you may have just like that. At least when you're speaking, it's limited how many people you can look stupid in front of. But when it comes to Facebook, hey, you've got a whole new arena to work in. And if I'm honest, church, sometimes I think you are very unwise in the things you put on Facebook. There are some really stupid things put up there, which lower you and make you look, well, the Bible would call you a fool in the things that you say. But also, also they bring the church into disrepute as well. Because if people know you're a Christian and you're typing that stuff on Facebook, you must be wise. Proverbs says, what is it, where there words are plenty? Many. Where words are many, sin is not absent. And that is a danger with Facebook, that there are an awful lot of words. Now, I'm for it. I think it's great. As a church, we're looking to see how we can use Facebook and different things more effectively and to use them better. But we must be careful, church. We mustn't take, put our brains in neutral. Loads of good can be done, but a lot of harm can be done as well. And we need to be wise in these things. I think as well when it comes to friends as well. Because the way Facebook works is, I get a request from someone maybe that I don't know very well, and says, hey, I want to be your friend. And then you're left, I don't know if any of you are in this, this dilemma. If I click no, then know that I don't want them to be their, I don't want to be their friend. Well, you know, and yet if I click yes, and then they are my friend, but I never speak to them anyway, so I don't know why I'd want them to be my friend. Any of you get caught in that dilemma? It can, it can be a bit awkward. I would just say, I think, again, we've got to be wise with this stuff. I think young people, be friends and be friends with each other, that is great. And I would say generally stick within your social circle, the people you know, the people you are with. Adults or older people, do the same. I don't think it's always the most appropriate for older people to be friends with younger people, because things get communicated through Facebook that you would never dare think about saying face-to-face. And therefore, you probably shouldn't say them. And so, we've got to be wise in these things. And I think it's better to be misunderstood and say, no, I don't want to be your friend, than it is to get drawn into silly conversations which would be best not to be had. Everyone okay with this? Yeah? Understand? Good. I think it's a great tool and it can do a lot of good. We just need to be wise. Let's stand. Let me go back to the very beginning. And uh, we're going to finish by a bit of prayer. And then we're going to have a coffee. Do the words that you say build people up? What's bubbling out of your heart at the moment? You did that tick sheet, where would you be? Where are most of your ticks, pluses or minuses? And this isn't to make you feel really bad. But we need to have a sober assessment of ourselves and take time to do that. 
And if, if we're getting it wrong, we need to change, because actually sometimes the words we speak out become a bit like a self-fulfilling prophecy over us as well. Particularly if you often speak negatively about yourself. It, actually, you just keep saying you start believing it, and that's actually how life ends up. You've got to be careful on these things. Why don't we raise our hands and just really, I think, I feel very needy in this area myself. I certainly don't get it all right. And I'm sure all of us here, to one extent or another, would say, oh God, please would you help me. Lord, we say we thank you that we are your people and that we've been purchased at a great price. Lord, we say we want to do everything for your glory. And therefore, we say we want the words from our mouths to glorify your name to put you higher and higher and higher, and to build those up around us. And so I pray for grace. I pray our speech would always be seasoned with grace. Lord, I pray, Lord, that over time, what bubbles out of our heart is increasingly words that build people up. It, they, people just feel good when they're around us. Not because it's, it's, it's empty flattery, but because it's genuine faith-building encouragement. Lord, we say our desire is to follow you in every aspect of our lives. Please help us to do it more and more. I pray, would you please forgive us where we've sinned. I thank you are faithful and just to forgive us our sin, all of them, to wipe the slate clean. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you live within us, that we might live in a different way. You, live us, you give us power for all we need, for life and for godliness. As so I ask you, Lord, as we venture into this new week, I pray we'd go with fresh faith and an expectancy and a hunger to glorify your name and to see your name lifted higher. Come and have your way, we pray, in our lives. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Excellent. It's good to be with you, and it's great to gather to worship God. Look forward to seeing many of you tonight at the prayer meeting as we talk with Nigel and Claire and uh, hopefully some friends from the Middle East as well. Have a good, good afternoon and we'll see you later.